one of the the, the Twitter posts that uh, I was responding to that uh, kind of inspired this this conversation. You say this. You say a lot of Christians are scared to study church history because they do not like learning about people from other theological camps doing good things for God. Even worse, some people view church history as merely a place to prove certain theological opinions. It's not that theology has no place in the study of church history, but using church history as a place to push your views is wrong. But see, I, I don't need those old writings. I've got my Bible. I've got when 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 I'm when I'm uh, you know in the thick of it. I've got my MacArthur commentaries. Uh, you know, there's always YouTube I can turn to. There's there's really nothing that church history can offer me other than what what happened before, not really what's happening these days, right? The, the difference, I mean, regardless of what happens, you are living church history. I mean, 100 or 200 years from now, if this earth is still going and has not gone up in flame, which I kind of hope it has because I'm ready to get ready for this to wrap up. But if it has not gone up in flames, if God is not done with us, the church history of that time will be what we're doing right now. Mm. You know, one of the things that our show, Revive Thoughts, has made me ask the question of, and not in an arrogant way, but if somebody were to look at my sermons when I was preaching more regularly, you know, 200 years from now, would they be worth keeping? And that doesn't mean I'm sitting here writing them down like, I want this to be worth something to some, no, but I'm saying, am I preaching my best? Is this something that somebody would be bother to preserve? You know, Oswald Chambers had no idea that his wife was writing down every sermon and basically preparing them for one of right. the biggest devotionals of all time. He had no idea because he died before all of that got published. He had no idea that was how his legacy was going to be known. And yeah, he's a very influential person because of that. He was just preaching, but he was preaching in a way that was meaningful and true. Now, for the person who says, look, I have my Bible. Yes, honestly, I am probably, you know, the, the word sometimes is thrown around like an insult and a biblical all you need is your Bible. I actually agree. I think as long as you are in connected with a body of believers and you have your Bible, you know, I've been in China. I have lived there. I've lived in Cambodia. I live in another country. I live in places where, you know, Christianity is not able to flourish and in the way that we would love it to. And I do agree that the Lord can preserve and take care of you. However, do you want to you know, but if you want to grow in your faith, you do need to know history. If you want to grow in your faith, you do need to know theology. If you want to grow in your faith, you do need to read these books of old. And I will say, as somebody who has been a Christian uh, for over a decade, my faith grew tremendously going to Bible college. My faith grew tremendously going to seminary. I found that I didn't get weaker in my faith learning these things. I grew in them. Yes, you can get by with just the Bible, but why settle for a second? You can get by with just bread and water, but that doesn't mean that you don't enjoy steak and chicken, right? Like you can, you take in as much good things as you can for your faith. Don't glut yourself. Don't just eat so much food that you're fat in your faith. Hudson Taylor warns against that, where we just gluttonously eat and eat and eat. And we're just these fat, overweight people who need to exercise their faith, quit pouring it in, but actually exercise it. At the same time, though, I think that we can learn so much from these people. And also, Hebrews 12.1, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses as this. Jonathan Edwards, there are two ways to encourage the faith, through doctrine and precept and through instance and example. Instance and example are people we can look at. It is so much easier to go through hard times when you realize, man, uh, you know, John Wycliffe went through uh, the Black Plague. Comparatively, you know, my life isn't too bad. <laughs> D.L. Moody served uh, as a, as a, as a, what's that? Not a chapel, a chaplain during the Civil War. You know, uh, so many people have gone through so much more than I have. George Mueller lost all of his children and both of his wives before he died. Hudson Taylor lost four of his children on the mission field. John G. Payton lost his wife and his child on the mission field. William Carey lost children on the mission field and wives on the mission field. And Felix Carey and so many people. And then I look at my life and I go, you know what? It's not nearly as bad. Yet all of those people stayed extremely faithful to the cross 
And so I need to make sure that I am walking so close to the cross too. Yeah. And, and, and when we view the Bible, it, it is, uh, it, it's, it's one of the things that I've learned about recently is the, the master storyteller that God is. And mm. the, the fact that why isn't the Bible just a collection of do's and do nots? He's telling stories to show his uh, entry into the lives of men so that he can redeem them for his glory and his purposes. And we see that with people like David who breaks all 10 commandments in a, in a fell swoop and is still called a, a friend of God. Yeah. And, and there, uh, the, the history of Paul's day is the, was the, the present of David's day, which was a history looking back towards Noah and Moses. And, and so uh, history has always been uh, a, a central component within the, in the lives of Christianity because when, when you have the Bereans uh, being extolled for, for their, their faithfulness, uh, what are they doing? They're looking back at what was told before them and going, this matches with, with what we have, which was given to us. Granted, God's word there, uh, but but uh, uh, church history is God acting out uh, what His promises within the lives of of people. It's also a safe place too, in the sense that I there are so many people. You know, when I ten years ago, when I was in Bible college, I looked up to a lot of famous speakers of the day that I don't look up to now. You know, I listened to some sermons by Mark Driscoll, and I enjoyed some of the preaching of Matt Chandler or Francis Chan. I don't really listen to any of those people anymore because I found that I don't think they're quite as faithful as I want them to be. And some of them, you know, their churches went down in flames. Things didn't go good. You know what's great about uh, Jonathan Edwards? I don't got to worry about him going down in flames. I know what his <laughs> problems are, but as soon as I open the book, and, and, you know, I know what the people through church history already went through. I know what they struggled with. Yes, they're not perfect. George Whitfield has definitely some problems with slavery and racism. There are issues in the lives of these men. We're not saying they're perfect, but I always say I'm not surprised to find imperfect people in history. You find imperfect people everywhere. What is surprising is how many incredibly amazing people come from one group of people called Christians. How many amazing, you know, life-changing, willing to sacrifice anything, and often they do for the truth. And they don't even sacrifice any everything for a gain. They don't cross, you know, oceans for the chance of getting rich. They don't cross oceans for the chance of fame. They cross oceans for just the sake of truth. They're willing to lose everything for what they believe is right. And more so than almost any other group of people, they are willing to just die on the chance that, you know, instead of just bow their head a little or something like that, I mean, they will sit there, whatever the case is, and they will say, no, I will go down faithfully with the ship. One of my favorite moments in church history is Jonathan Swift, who's not remembered for being a Christian, but in Gulliver's Travels, he writes this satirical moment because uh, I don't recall if you remember, if you recall that Gulliver will land basically in Japan and you're supposed to like step on the face of Mary and all the Dutch traders happily step on the face of Mary because they go, hey, no big deal. We're reformed. We're not Catholic. You know, who cares about Mary? And they step on it. No problem. They trade with the Japanese. No big deal. And that's a true thing. And Jonathan Swift goes, you know what you're doing. Knock it off. That is disgusting. You, yes, we all know that the image of Mary means it means the Philippines, but also, you know, that what you're actually stepping on is the fact that you're a Christian. Knock it off. I don't care if you think Mary's face means nothing. I agree with you. I'm also an Anglican. You know, I don't think Mary's face means anything, but I will never step on something. If that's the symbol of Christianity to those people, mm. I will die a Christian before I will let them think I'm not basically. And I think that that is just something I love about it because only Christians talk to themselves like that. Only we hold ourselves to such high levels 
of accountability where we say we cannot do anything to desecrate the name of God. Yeah. Yeah. When you can point to history and say, uh, is, is this Christianity? And you go, you, there's a, there's a standard, there's a, a, an absolute standard that you can point to and say, yes, they were, they were not acting like Christians or no, they were fully in accord with Christians. You just don't like that. That's what it was. Um, and, and so uh, that's, that's one of the great things about having, uh, and, and from, from an apologetic standpoint, uh, the, the application of apologetics, it's, it, it's great to know the maximal facts, the minimal facts of the resurrection. I, you know, I, I don't discount that even as a presuppositionalist, but um, w- one of the things that I, I think that we lose sometimes is it's not facts to know, it's facts to live. And um, w- without, yeah. without those application points, um, we're just amassing facts that were there for writing books and not, not carrying out the gospel. And, and, and that means both... Uh, in preaching of the word for justification purposes and for sanctification process. I think we see today, uh, you know, uh, uh, Vadi Bakum can, can t- uh, extol uh, uh, men to manhood, and it's the worst thing in the entire world. But Jordan Peterson does it, and it's, it's oh my goodness, he's, he's speaking so much truth, and there's such a hunger for it. I, I don't understand. And it, it's, it's uh, you know, uh, going back to the, the church leaders, there's such a, especially over the past three years when something happened at, at this time and in, in point, uh, the, the absolute failure of the, the church to be the church. And, and um, it's not something that we haven't, it's not something we haven't not seen before, but it's, uh, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's definitely um, encouraging that there are times and then there are periods after those times. And we just yeah. continue on calling people <clears throat> to, to faith. Yeah, it's interesting you say the Jordan Peterson thing, because that's the same exact way I felt, too, when people were like, look at this. He's telling people how to live. I'm like, I, I remember I was in China, and a friend of mine was from Estonia, and he was telling me how much he really enjoyed Jordan Peterson, everything he described. And I was like, "What? okay, tell me, please pinpoint, what is it that you like about this? He's like, we should be men. We should make our bed. We need to have discipline. And everything he was saying, I was like, I feel like the church has told me that my entire life. Like, what, <laughs> what am I missing here that is just catching so Raleigh. And there, he's not the only one. I think another famous example is Joe Rogan. And Joe Rogan has a bit of a vulgar mouth. I don't really listen to his show, but people are, you know, he's really, he's really telling truth. He's really getting to that. And everything he says, I'm like, I feel like that's stuff we've all been saying for a very long time. What is it that's the disconnect? I do think that one thing I'll give Jordan, because I'm a bit critical of them, but one thing I'll give Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan and these people credit for is when they say it, they have everything to lose. You know, Joe Rogan has a lot of money, Spotify could cut him loose, but he still speaks the truth despite the fact that, you know, it could cause him real problems, especially because he's not surrounded by Christians. Same with Jordan Peterson. He's a professor in canon, all that. He has everything to lose when he speaks the truth, again, through his prism of truth, because I don't think he's quite got the truth, but they have everything to lose when they say it. They still have the courage to say it. And I think that is absolute, I think that is what catches people. It's not that these people are speaking something so astounding the church has never said before. It's that people are looking for examples of courage in the face of persecution. And sadly, many times they're not seeing it in the church. They're seeing compromise in the church. They're seeing Christian pastors who have an entire congregation who would probably agree with them, but they're worried of offending one or two guests in the back. So they're going to, you know, water down the message. 
And then they look over at people like Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson who make, you know, who could easily lose a whole bunch of money, book deals or whatever, and yet they still keep hammering it. And they go, see, those guys are courageous. They have everything to lose, but they still go for it. The church pastors are scared to speak the truth. We really need to get back to a place where our pulpits are filled with people who are not scared to speak the truths that offend people today. It doesn't mean you get up there and just start hammering politics per se, but it is where we are a people of truth and we go, look, this is the truth. I'm not going to try to water this message. I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to bring you the truth, even if it's going to scald you, even if you're not going to like it as you hear it. That's what, I, I don't know that that's what makes Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson, because I've really tried to figure them out for years. I think that's at least part of what makes them so famous. That, and sadly, I think the church's message has just gotten so lost over the time. There's so many things that people hear somebody going, hey, be masculine. They go, wow, I've never heard that before. <laughs> but haven't you been attending church for years? Yeah, and all I heard there was, you know, my hurt and stuff like that. I think that can become a real problem too. You go on to say, both Calvinists and Armenians have done good things for God in the church. Some Catholics, especially prior to the 1500s, were useful for God's glory. Charismatics and cessationists have helped grow the kingdom. Uh, different groups have been useful at different times for God. This is not ecumenicism, uh, yet out of fear of being too ecumenical or just out of ignorance, most refuse to learn about other groups. Seminaries proliferate this by using church history as a subservient class to their theological departments. And we kind of talked a little bit about that before, but... Troy, I am, I'm scared to look at church history. It might show me that the Catholic Church is the one true and only church, <laughs> and I have to go there. Or, or that, that all my beliefs are, can't be found until uh, uh, 15 minutes ago. Uh, or that yeah. people in different theological camps were useful uh, to, for the things of God. Um, why is that not the attitude to have about looking at church history? It's scary back then. Not, they don't look like me. See, I think it's great because the opposite approach is true too. Wow, I don't have to have all the right answers to be used by God. Look at all these wrong people that God chose to kindly use. I may have all the greatest theology today, but he still used all these other secondary theologians as how you could view it as well, right? Like the, the thing is, and this is something that's really hard for us today. It's not about right answers. Yes, the right answer, obviously, Jesus Christ. Yes, the Trinity. Okay, like those answers, yes. We need to have those primary doctrine, Christian issues figured out. But we don't have to have the same eschatology. We don't have to have the same view of the gifts. We don't have to have all these perfect things to match up. And, and, and we all go, okay, like, I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah, you do. Because ask your missionary um, that your church supports or that you know, if they know people out on the field that maybe view God differently, and they'll go, yes, I do and we all work together just fine. And you'll go, oh, of course, that totally makes sense because you guys are in a different environment. Well, if it's okay for them, then you know it's okay for you as well, right? Like you don't have to have everything great. One of the things that makes Charles Spurgeon so interesting is he has a quote about every single human that ever lived up until his day. Like if you look up like the most obscure person, you'll find a quote like Charles Spurgeon liked his book on this. Charles Spurgeon <laughs> really had a lot to say about that. And you're like, how did he manage to talk about everybody? Oh, did they work at Princeton? He called them the Princeton Worthies. Oh, is this a guy from the 1600s? No. Oh, no, Charles Spurgeon said he loved his letters. Oh, what about this guy in the 17th, the greatest theologian of his century? Charles Spurgeon complimented everyone and said everyone was the greatest person of all time, but he has read everybody. It didn't matter to him what spectrum they were. Spurgeon has lots of great things to say about them. Martin Luther is actually quite similar. He has a lot to say about everybody. And I think 
that we need to get back to a place not where we embrace everyone as true. Look, there are definitely lines. I, I, I apologize, Jehovah Witnesses, you're over there. We're not in the camp, okay? But I also have to look over and go, look, I, you know, man, we have our disagreements, but as the persecution gets more intense, we're going to probably not look at those disagreements as such a big deal anyway. Let's move forward. I'm going to respect that you are preaching Jesus Christ crucified and the Bible is God's word and you're leading a church service that way. I would lead it differently. Guess what? We can still both work in the same city and do lots of great things for the kingdom of God. And when I look at church history, it would be great if everybody in there was, you know, some people would say an Anglican, some people might say a Southern Baptist, or, you know, what I would like everyone to be, the Presbyterians will certainly wish everyone was a Presbyterian. But, you know, as great as it would be, I'm sorry, Reformed, there are not, there are Christians outside of your camp as well, and they did great things for the gospel, and you're going to get to heaven, and they're going to be probably way closer to the throne than us, right? And we're going to go, well, it would have been cool. Um, what was it? Gosh, was it Martin Lloyd-Jones? No, maybe it was R.C. Sproul. <sighs> Man, I'm going to totally butcher another quote. I apologize. But it was somebody like Martin Lloyd-Jones, R.C. Sproul, said of Billy Graham, I think it was, like, hey, is that person going to be in heaven? And that person was like, no, 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 no. I'm... I think it's George Whitfield and John Wesley. One of those guys was basically like, that, that person's going to be so much further ahead of me. I'm yeah, not even going to like, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah, I, went, I definitely moved that 200 years forward. So it was Wesley. <laughs> Uh, speaking of Whitfield, and he was like, that guy's going to be so much closer to yeah. the throne. I'm not even going to be able to see him. Like, it's going to be so much closer. Yeah. John Wesley and George Whitfield, those two, you could not clash harder than those two did. I mean, really, truly, just an angry feud between them, yet they resolved it. And they are the quintessential Calvinist and Arminian fighting, right? If those two can get to a place where they're okay, we all need to get a little bit better at embracing our fellow brother in Christ. And then which is hard because we had the fake person pretending to be a Christian over here. We had the person who thinks he's a Christian, but it really is not over there. And then we have Christians who don't think like us that we have to learn to get along with. It is tough, and yet that is what we're called to do, and that's just what we have to do. It's a little bit tough, then be guided by prayer and let the Lord help you do it. So then then how do we include in church history uh, things like the Roman Catholic Church, which we would say has a false gospel, but then we don't include— yeah. Uh, people like Latter-day Saints and Jehovah's Witnesses? Is it just because of proximity to our time? Or uh, is, it, is, there, is there something more? Is, is, it, is it that the, the Roman Catholic Church was the, the only thing out there, uh, uh, even though you can find a smattering of, of true, uh, what we would call yeah. uh, tr- true biblical uh, uh, belief uh, groups within it? The Catholic Church is tough because I think one thing we have to look at is what time frame are you looking at the Catholic Church? Are you looking at early 1500s Catholic Church? There aren't a lot of Christians. That's why there was a whole breakaway movement called the Reformation, right? Are you looking at Catholic Church in the 1100s? Well, that's different. Then we need to, in much like today, we have to kind of evaluate you based on a per individual basis, right? Like, oh, I'm a Presbyterian. Does that mean I'm a Christian? No. Did you follow Jesus Christ? That's what means if you're a Christian. What denomination you attach yourself does not mean anything. Now, I know that aren't, aren't Christian Muslims, so it does make it easier, right? You're a Latter-day Saint. Cool, I can put you out of the Christian club quite easily because you're not even claiming to be a part of a group of people that follow Christ. For the Catholics, that's a little bit tougher because they do claim to follow Christ. At one point, they were the only game in town. And I put that in air quotes if you can't see it, if you're a listener, because uh, Ethiopia and Orthodox over here, and, you know, so there were other games in town. But if you're in France or England or Italy, okay, the only game in town is the Roman Catholic Church. Were there Christians in the Roman Catholic Church? Yeah, 
look, there were, and, and even Martin Luther and these guys would say, look, there were legitimate, you know, people following Christ, trying to reform the church from the inside out. And yet it wasn't working. And so we had to break away and get to a place where we took off all the shackles. Once again, uh, you could have a Bible and a John MacArthur commentary and do it all without church history, right? And you could be a Catholic and add all this extra garbage to the faith. And maybe, you know, the Lord can use it. Obviously, the Lord got a hold of Martin Luther while he was a monk in the Catholic Church. So it happens. At the same time, it makes it more difficult. And it makes it much, much, much harder for others to follow through, right? Jesuits were able to turn some countries Catholic, yet most of those countries are not the most Christian places in the world today. It's not the best way to spread the faith. Catholicism is certainly not. But I am not going to say every single Catholic that lived was not Christian because that would mean that from the year 300 AD to the year 1500 AD, the church was completely missing. And that's just not accurate either. Yeah. And we it could to be to Mormons. Place, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have to get to a place where even though we don't like the way the Catholics did things, and they certainly made things much more difficult, a Catholic, a Catholic needs to be evaluated based on what they call, what they claim to believe in and what they gave to history. The good news is I don't have to do that evaluation. Jesus Christ in heaven does. He knows which ones were his and which ones weren't. We, that's not on us. We have to be faithful in our day. And in the same way that we give the Catholics a hard time, I will point out that the evangelical church is divided one million different ways and is all over the place. And, you know, if I say I'm an evangelical, that can mean I love going to Hillsong and mega church, you know, signing in on my campus 19 with a satellite video. Or that could mean I go to a Bible church and we actually meet at someone's house and we do, you know, it could mean a bazillion different things, right? That does not mean it's the same. And that does not mean we're all following God at all. And we need to be evaluated a little bit more on a per individual basis because some are, you know, evangelical sometimes means great. And sometimes it does not. I mean, what was that Barnaba, Bar, Barnaba, Barna survey that said something like two thirds of evangelicals believe there's more than one way to heaven or something like that. So obviously, even in our own camp, maybe we should be a little bit careful throwing stones because I don't know how many Catholics would actually agree with that statement. All right. I, I think, too, going back to how we evaluate history and looking at it through the, 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 the school way, um, we need we need to not think of history as only existing in these periods where uh, okay, on, on October 31st, you know, yes. 1500, uh, you know, th th this is when the Reformation started and, and, and th nothing happened before then, nothing happened mm -hmm. after then. It, you know, it, it's not like, uh, you know, uh, December 7th, 1941, where you're like, okay, th that was a moment where World War II started. Uh, but yeah. history, for the most thing, uh, for the most part, uh, you know, the 100 the Years' War wasn't 100 years, and it also wasn't just you know, there was a battle that occurred that kicked off the Hundred Years' mm -hmm. War. Uh, th there was a scope. There was things leading up to it. There was things leading after it. Um, yep. And so, and so, we we need to have this this uh, not new, but a and I, I I would hate to use the word nuance because it sounds like I'm trying to yeah. foster in, but but uh, <laughs> a realistic uh, viewpoint of humans acting within history, causing things, and not everything can be put down as a as a date in in the textbook. It's fine when you're initially studying that and you're you're kind of giving an overview but uh but we we kind of have to have a, a a greater sense of uh what it's like to act in history uh you know when, when you decide to buy a house you're you're planning for it and then you're fixing up 
at the moment of purchase afterwards. At what point did you buy the house? Well, I signed the dotted line and that was when it was. But it's really when I like moved it in or when I had my first kid or, or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. John Calvin well, in history. In, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, John Calvin in the Institute says this. He says, wherever we see the word of God purely preached and heard, there a church of God exists, even if it swarms with many faults. And see, what I do is I write down my quotes. You just have to remember all quotes from the entirety of church history <laughs> of what I'm going to pull from. Uh, but I, I think he, he makes it's the, easy. The... Like J.C. Ryle says, tomorrow the cross, today, or today the cross, tomorrow the crown. I got like the really short ones, no problem. <laughs> right. Uh, but, but. Uh, I mean, here, here's here's Mr. Reformed himself, uh, the, the the man who we follow, the man John Calvin, not not the theology of John Calvin, right? Uh, except for uh, he, he's he, uh, throughout the institutes, he's calling people uh, uh, to to embrace a, a further expansion of uh, what it means to to be a Christian and and what what it involves, and it's not just uh, Sunday from from 11 p.m. to 12:30. Uh, p.m. or 12, uh, 11 a.m. to 12:30 p.m. Uh, it, it's it's this uh, uh, thing that uh, uh, goes out from us because uh, all truth is God's truth, all people are God's people made in His image, and all history is God's unfolding of His story uh, of of redemption uh, from before the cross to the cross, and then from the the point of the cross onward until uh, He comes again. Absolutely. And look, history is fun because history is not a perfect science. We would, you know, theology can perfectly tell you the attributes of God and all these things. Of course, human language fails to actually do that. History is fun because we get to have these perfect ideas smashed and realize in reality, humans are flawed and sinful. And yet throughout those crazy smashing and destruction of our perfect principles that theology and apologetics would give us that we would love to see perfectly applied, humanity is so much messier than, it's it's almost like in the Old Testament where here's the law, God hands them a perfect law. The Israelites immediately go on to fail it like 1,000 different ways, right? (laughs) right? Yet... The Israelites were still the people of God. Like they were still his chosen people and he still had his people working throughout. In very much the same way, we have these great theologies, these great ideas of God. We have these perfect things. And yet when you look at history, it's much like the Israelites where it's just a giant mess full of things. But we don't have Elijah and we don't have Daniel. We, I would never put them on the same planet as biblical, but we do have these great men and women of God who faithfully serve, who we can learn from, grow from, and see like, hey, they believed the word of God and then they went on to make a massive difference. And even in their flaws, even in the ways we, they fail, we can pick up and learn from them and grow encouraged by them. And like I said, John Calvin, great theology, right? You move into Geneva, are you going to move to Geneva run by John Calvin? I'm not because I don't want to end up in jail, right? So like, I mean, great guys, great ideas. Sometimes, you know, as much as I think Geneva did a lot of great things, changed the world, I don't want to move there. I'm much happier to not move into that theocratic uh, state because I probably would end up in jail. I live in a current theocratic state and I wouldn't end up in jail here. So it's just, it's just different history. We have to go in with a little bit of a loose hand and open ideas and be willing to say, hmm, as much as I want everything to be perfect, it's just not going to happen. And that's okay because your life is also not perfect. You're no better than those who came before you. In fact, I think in many ways, we are not worthy to tie the sandals, not only of our Lord and Savior, not only of the apostles, not only of many of those who lived in in the Old Testament, but I think when we get to heaven, we're going to find that we are way in the back compared to many of the great, wonderful people who lived through church history. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it, it'll, be, it'll be nice just as, enough to see the throne if, if I can without uh, standing <laughs> on people's shoulders. Um, well, uh, 
we've been talking for a while. We could continue on. I've only went through half of the questions that I had for you, uh, but I, I don't want to keep you. I, I know you're on the other side of the world and uh, probably about ready to go to bed. Uh, but um, uh, he, he, here's here's what I understand. Uh, church history is important. Check. Uh, we, we can learn uh, from uh, people who went through um, the, the the highs and the lows of, of uh, carrying out their faith and uh, while not everyone's perfect, um, we can appreciate the, uh, those who uh, declare the, the, the lordship of Christ uh, to them. And uh, even when they fail, um, they, they offer us uh, a, a story of tragedy uh, that uh, can be redeemed or a, a story of comedy that uh, 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 comes out from, uh, from, from the dips and, and, and yeah. uh, uh we're, we're able to see God's redemption of, of man's plan in, in that. Would that be a, a, a decent overview of, of what church history looks like? Yeah, and when you say it like that, it sounds like, hmm, who's ultimately in charge? God is, right? Who, If a person is successful or a person fails and teaches us a cautionary tale, ultimately the person leading God's church, not the person, the, the one leading God's church is Christ, is God. And the reason why church history is so important is because who is ultimately orchestrating every believer's movements is supposed to be when they are following the Lord. God is the one ultimately leading us. And so when you are studying church history, you're also studying the work that God is doing throughout history. I said in a recent uh, episode that we had called All the Good Christians Do, which is a conversation between Joel and I, you know, Roe versus Wade getting overturned is no surprise. Christians worked hard for that. Christians worked hard to end slavery. Christians worked hard to end eugenics. Christians worked hard to end Viking funerals where the wives were thrown on the pyre. Christians worked hard to end the sacrifice of twins. Christians worked hard to end foot binding that killed one in six women in China. Christians worked hard to end cannibalism in the Pacific. Christians worked hard to end slave trade in the Middle East. Christians worked hard to end communist uh, concentration camps in Russia. Christians worked like this is something we do. We created we created the concept of orphanages and then we took care of orphans. We created the concept of schools and then we ran schools and now we try to run literacy programs all over the world in people's own languages, not forcing them to learn our language like another religion that's very big, but instead we try to learn it in their language and teach it to them. We also have the concept of hospitals comes from us. Once again, bring all the sick to one people. We created that too. Christians have done so very much good for the world. And yet we're always on the defense about what the Crusades and the Inquisition, which the Inquisition was done by Catholics. That's their problem. <laughs> I guess the Crusades were too. But to say we're always on the defense because of, I guess, the Salem witch trials. And I go, we have done so much good for the world and we're playing defense. That's ridiculous. The rest of the world needs to explain to us, where are the atheist inventions that we all use, right? Where is the great good that the atheist and the agnostic brought to the world that everyone is currently using? The entire world uses schools. The entire world uses hospitals. The entire world uses orphanages. The entire world does all these different things. Please, atheist and agnostic, if you're so much better, if you freed yourself from the shackles of religion and now you're truly free, why is it the only thing you can create is hunger? <laughs> why, why, why is that the only invention you seem capable of bringing to the mass of the world, right? Yeah. What is it? What is the great thing you have created and brought to everyone that has changed and revolutionized society that comes even close to the orphanage, the hospital, and the school? The, the scientific revolution was uh, the, the, the Christian response to go, yeah. I want to know God's creation more and better yes. and deeper. 
we talked about Jonathan Edwards, the theologian. We forgot about Jonathan Edwards, the scientist, right? Like yeah. how many of these great men were in fact scientists? It just happens over and over and over again where we try to escape the Christian and yet the Christian is already there, right? And they're always ahead of you. Once, you know, if you're an atheist, I mean, how many, I mean, gosh, I don't, I'm sure you do this way more than I do, but how many times I love reading the Google News feed because the Google News feed will send me these great articles where it'll be like, Huh, evolutionists rethinking and starting to realize it's difficult to explain how like an organ system evolved on its own. I'm like, wow, welcome to the creationist point 150 <laughs> years late. We said that like way forever ago. The eyeball is hard to explain, isn't it? It would have had to have happened all at once. You're not wrong. Where have you been? Right? Where where were you? We were here this whole time, right? And it's just crazy to me how much like the scientists work so hard to do everything without God's help and they don't even get ten percent of the way where the Christians manage to land. And I'm not saying this isn't arrogant, like we're, we're so much better than them. I'm just saying that look through history, show me one group of people who have changed the world completely flipped it upside down like the christians and the christian countries have you can't find anything that comes remotely close that doesn't mean they're everything they say is true but if you're an atheist you got to look at that and go why doesn't that match up right why didn't communist russia communist china why hasn't the godless countries changed the world for the better the way that the christian countries did when they were rocking the love of jesus you know, 12 million dead. That, that's that, that's a good number. It's, you know, we're going for high numbers in, in this point in time. Yeah. We're going to um, throw up the shackles of religion and 3 million people have died and are starving, right? I mean, it happens every time. I mean, I've lived in those countries. I've seen it firsthand. It's or, or, terrible. Uh, Japan, um, uh, our, our, our friend from uh, Anarchist Bible Study, uh, uh, um, we, we talked about, uh, uh, on, I think on Twitter, on Japan's High suicidal rate, uh, uh, yeah. uh, low investment, uh, but high um, high time in in work that's unfulfilling, and and mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's a it's a place without hope where where you have different areas of the cities where uh, depending on your um, uh, 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 economic standpoint, that's where you kill yourself. You know, so mm-hmm. uh, shirking off the, the 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 chains of the masses of religion. Uh, seems uh, maybe not fully the way to go, uh, especially if uh, if you think it's just some sky daddy in the in the in the sky who sure. uh, bestows us with magic powers or something. Well, and I mean, and, and the obvious too. There's a huge movement called deconstructionism or the evangelical movement now, and I'm not sure who tweeted it, so I do apologize. I can't credit correctly, but show me one person who did that who's happier after than before, right? Like the people who leave are never more fulfilled and more joyful. And it's just the way it is. As much as they want to be, they, we, you know, you, you've met them, you've talked with them, you've hung out with them, and you know that deep down they are not happier than they were before they started. And that's just yeah. the way it is. No country is better once it leaves God. America has never been further from God. America, is, that, is this the America we're all proud of where drag queen story hours are now becoming a regular argument online and I, I don't even go on TikTok because I'm terrified. So I mean, like the world we look at in America today, don't we all not say fondly wish we could go back? There were problems in the past per se, yeah. but is there anybody who looks at the situation they're raising their children in today and go, man, my children have never had it better, right? Like that's, nobody says that. Uh, uh, I, I think it's Lennon who has the quote that the, uh, the capitalists will sell us the rope that we will hang them with. And I think uh, the Christian church has uh, given the, the, the West the, the, the rope that uh, they intend to hang us with uh, because we've, we've um, uh, provided a sense of freedom, of opportunity, of, of not being 
um, meddled with by uh, uh, government entities or you know church mm-hmm. entities that act like the government, and and so I, I think um, uh, n- not learning from the mistakes of the past as well um, uh, allows us to uh, continue to to give over territory that is God's. Uh, uh, yes. From the church's standpoint, uh, you know, well, we 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 read about Israel and we go, why why are they doing this again? And then I just <laughs> always have to remember, I am Israel in, in that. I'm I'm always yes. Israel. I'm always the negative uh, parts of the church because I'm the one that's always doing those things as well. Well, it's interesting you say that because I mean, how many times are they told, "Remember what God has done for you"? Right? There's you want to know where progressives almost always start infiltrating, right? If you're starting a seminary, you're starting a school. Where do the progressives almost always show up first to infiltrate? Right? I I went to a very I went to Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and they're like, "We're very proud of our very orthodox theology," and they're right that I could not find any problems with their theology. But I took their church history class, and let me tell you, the progressives are already present. Why? Because they don't slip in through the head. They don't come at you from the head. They don't come at you straight on. They don't come at you in the theology departments. They don't come at you first, right from the beginning. They come in almost always through the history departments. Are you sure about that? Look at the Communist Manifesto. What was it that Hegel and, and, and Marx were doing? They were rewriting history to say that it was an entirely worldwide battle of resources by the capitalist, right? That has always been their playbook. I mean, that's it's 1984. That's, that's what Wilson was doing. Exactly. They are always going, hey, history, history, history. We think church history doesn't matter. One of the reasons as a society we don't care about history anymore is because they've been so successful. The Marxists rewrote history and got us to not care about history. When I lived in China, they did not, had no clue about their history. They used to throw parties on top of the Great Wall and destroy it. There are tons of pieces of the Great Wall that were completely just crushed forever, lost to history because the people were taught not to care and not to like their own history that is a communist like ploy from day one because they're trying to get you away from this idea of any kind of national identity so they can control you and move you in the direction they want you to go in. And so many Christians don't think church history matter because they have agreed to the same terms as the enemy. And then they go out there and they fight the biblical and cultural battles and they wonder why they feel so alone and why they're getting pushed on. It's because you've already embraced the wrong footing that history does not matter. You are just one part of a large picture of God's church throughout history. Fight your battles today. Well, Sunday maybe you will be written about and remembered as well. But don't think for a second that you are better than history. There is a reason the progressives know where to start. They start in the literature departments because they want to control the stories, and they start in the history departments because the story of history needs to be written under their perspective because at the end, they always believe they will win. Of course, like the devil, they won't. But they believe they will. And and see, this is why I wanted to have you on because you're just me from the history side of things. So I, I, <laughs> I appreciate that. But let, let, let me quote you uh, towards the end here because uh, uh, you, you've you've summed up the well uh, the the kind of the fight the good fight. But uh, uh, let me uh, quote you here at the end. It, it is a great testament during these uh, dark days to know that God fulfilled His word through His church exactly as He said He would. God took great pains to tell the story of God's people, Israel. Do you think he has not seen his people moving since the days of Pentecost? Learn about the great works God's people has done. It will grow you. It will make you less ecumenical and firmer in the primary things primary things that uh, matter most. For you cannot help but see the need for courage and boldness when you look at God's faithful people through history. And so I'm going to ask you, uh, uh, where should we go for good church history? And let me answer my question first, uh, because uh, I want you to have the, the last word. But uh, um, if you're looking to get 
a, 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 a huge swath of, of intro people, especially for your kids. Uh, there's a great book series. Uh, there's there's uh, two sections of it, and um, it's it's called the um, the the Lifeway series. Or, I'm sorry, the Light Keeper series, and it's uh, oh, ten boys who that. use their talents, ten girls who use their talents. There's there's two sets of them. There's uh, ten boys, ten girls. Uh, I've reviewed them all because I was so smitten with them. Uh, they do just a great job of of um, put, uh, giving you a, a large number of people in a short amount of story on introducing you to these people who were important that, that, that we know about today and that uh, will encourage uh, you and your walk as you learn about their struggles, their high points, their low points, what they did, George Washington Carver, and, and how he pretty much modernized uh, the, the, the food production of our day today is because of his Christianity. Uh, that's something that, you know, oh, he's the peanut guy. No, no. Ch- church history is replentant with these unknown facts because uh, I, I went to a, a, a Catholic a private school and then a public school, and uh, uh, the, the history there was, was taught from an American standpoint of today where uh, everything is, is gilded in either presidents or wars, and we can do so much better with uh, God's history. So that, that, that's, that's my answer. Where should we go for Light good he- church Lightkeeper is actually going to be mine. <laughs> and I, I was going to say the same thing because it is so important to get to the children. You know, look at the effort that the world puts to making martyrs and saints out of the civil rights and these different people. And then ask yourself, if these things aren't important, why are they working so hard to teach them the heroes that they want your children to grow up under and to look like? You have a great swath of heroes and children love stories. They do. I'm sorry. Children, I have a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. They may not sit still as I read 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 10 to them. That's great. It's a great letter of God. I'm not denying it's scripture, but they will sit still for a very long story about a person living adventures like David Livingston, Henry M. Stanley. That's the way God made them. Luckily, there are lots of stories in the Bible we can tell them, but I'm also saying we need to teach them the stories of church history. Children dig stories, and the more you fill their minds with great stories of the things that God's people have done, you will always find that children just grow and grow and grow. It's a great way to help you know anchor them. It's a great apologetic for children. Lightkeepers was going to be mine. Uh, Banner of Truth has so many good stuff. People always say, go to Ian Murray. He's wonderful. Uh, so there's so many different things. I can't like point to just one. I mean, he has a book called Why Church, why Church History Matters. So you could read that one if you're not convinced after this episode of why you need to do it. And I've read that one. It's like 30 pages, really short, but easy to read. Uh, it's like $2. So you can read it as a PDF in like an hour. Um, but I mean, there's so many good books on Bayer Truth. I think they're probably one of the best Christian publishers of church history, in my opinion. And if you're hearing all this and going, I need to go get like a 2000 page church history volume part one. No, don't do that. That's the opposite approach you should have. Find a person who interests you and read maybe a short biography on him or her, and then go and read some more. I find that the best way to learn church history is through the biographies. And I would even say, maybe don't necessarily jump on the big names. You know, don't maybe, maybe Dietrich Bonhoeffer or C.S. Lewis or some of those gigantic names that people always rush to aren't the best ones. Find ones with, I think, interesting stories that can delve you into a time period and see how this person interacted in it, and then learn some more and learn some more like that. I think personally speaking, I have learned so much more learning history through biographies um, than giant systematic historical 
whatevers or, you know, the, uh, what is it? Historic systematic theology or something like that, where you're studying theology through history. And I'm like, yikes. I mean, it's very important, but also yeah, like that's the worst way to introduce somebody to history because it's going to be so much tougher for them to enjoy biographies and stories are just so much more exciting in my opinion. And I think it's why, I mean, for our listeners, so many people must have just thought, I was so encouraged. Wow. I never knew the story of Lilius Trotter of Gladys Aylward that I can't wait for the next episode because these people's faiths inspire me. And I think that we need to get back to a place where biographies of Christians are just off the tip of our tongues and we're just ready to go. Um, and of course, if I could be so humble as to recommend Revived Studios, I think Revived Thoughts, Revived Radio, Mars Missionaries, uh, Revived Devos, there's something for everybody and you can find something that you enjoy in our programs. I absolutely hope you do. Well, thanks for nerding out on history with me. And uh, uh, I, I know uh, Probably uh, at some point you you get uh, sick and tired of, of history, but uh, but uh, this was a lot of fun for me, and uh, uh, it, it scratched my my, my geek itch uh, a lot. Uh, I've I've, I've been I've been uh, 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 reading reading history with with my girls, um, and I, it's it's amazing how much I'll read uh, a story from them and get inspired to go Alfred the Great. I've never heard of him, and read an entire biography of him and go Wow, like. okay that story probably didn't happen but what he did to curtail like the viking invasion was amazing and 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 all these things that that um that pinpoint oh there's more to the story of history than just here's the viking invasion here's the viking end invasion things happened in between uh the governments were involved and and that's it It, it's amazing how how often the individual matters uh in that and we see that in church history in the bible as well it's always Oh, it, you know, here, here's here's uh, this army standing against this army, and here comes this shepherd boy that no one cares about bringing his brother's food. And uh, guess what? He he ends up becoming uh, the the uh, once and future king. So uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, thanks for for coming. Thanks for talking about this. Uh, how important it is for for us to know and uh, um, uh, keep having me on to to read sermons for you. Absolutely. Well, no, it's <laughs> it's actually a great ending uh, statement. It's like man you know, look at what God used to do with one person. It's like, look what God is still doing. You know, so many times the atheist or whatever will be like, oh, what, 2,000 years ago, God said X, Y. Well, where has he been this whole time? Like ending slavery and fighting uh, eugenics and doing all these great things through his church. He's been doing it all along the whole way through. He's not gone anywhere. And Patrick, you would maybe, hopefully not ruin and delete this part out of your episode. But I want to tell everyone, Patrick is an amazing human. He's a wonderful person. He has kind and multiple times helped my family and I out uh, through his support of our work overseas. He may not, um, he may be humble and may not want to tell you this, but we have been very, very, very grateful for his support. He's more than just somebody who says he loves God. He's more than just somebody who um, runs a good podcast. There are plenty of people doing that, and there are plenty of kind of snakes out there in the podcasting world. Patrick's not one of them. He's a very good person who has financially helped us out at different times, too. And so I wanted to make sure that I said before I left, like, we have deeply appreciated those moments. You have no idea how you probably helped us throughout this whole time. Um, and you're more than just a guy who talks to talkers out there tweeting the tweets, but you actually, when no one's looking, you also, you do it, if that's what I'm, you know what I'm saying. You're, you're living it out, and you are... Um, you're doing exactly what I think God has called you to do. So I want to thank you for that and tell everyone who's listening, like Patrick is definitely the real deal. Oh, well, I appreciate that. It's only my pleasure and it's only by the grace of God that uh, that I have the heart that I do uh, and uh, let God reform it even more. So uh, thank you again for coming out. Thanks for spending uh, a, a, a large uh, part of your night, my morning, and, uh, and I'll uh, see, see you out there again. So thanks again. <laughs>